0: Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to Osh's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at Osh.com.
1: Hi there. I'm Randad Vettah from ThruLine. From KQED.
0: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Many cities and counties in California are struggling with the surge in hospitalizations due to the Delta variant of the coronavirus. And places with lower vaccination rates are being hit especially hard. That includes Tulare County, where COVID hospitalizations have increased eightfold in just the past three weeks. Only about 43% of the county's eligible population is fully vaccinated. carrying. Noeski is chief nursing officer with Cahuilla Health.
1: We do anticipate that surge will continue as patients come in and are sick and need that level of care. Um, We want to provide that to the community, but what that does do as we take up critical care beds with COVID-related admissions. It does make it harder for caring for other people that also need ICU level of care.
0: Medical facilities are also concerned about a possible staffing shortage if hospitalizations continue to rise. Physician Gravinder Kaur, chief medical officer for Adventist Health in the Central Valley, makes this plea for people to get vaccinated.
1: Our healthcare personnel have been through a lot. They are tired, they are burnt out, they are worried, and some of them are getting sick. And so I again appeal vaccines work. This is science. It's proven science. We have lots of evidence to say that vaccines are safe and they're effective.
0: The vast majority of hospitalized patients in Tulare County continue to be people who are unvaccinated, and they're also younger than during other waves of the pandemic. Although the hospitals are concerned about the increasing numbers, for the time being at least, they're not calling to delay elective surgeries. San Francisco will become the first city in the U.S. to require workers and patrons inside bars, restaurants, gyms, and theaters to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Mayor London Breed announced the order yesterday.
3: Why are we doing this? It's to protect the workers. It's to protect kids. It's to protect those who can't get vaccinated. It's to make sure that we don't go backwards.
0: Many San Francisco bars and restaurants started doing this weeks ago. And while the transition has been seamless for many businesses, that's not the case for all of them. Tim Oberth is CEO of Seven Stills Brewery and Distillery. He tells the California Report that 99% of his customers have been fine with showing proof of vaccination. But it's that other 1% that has been loud and obnoxious, even harassing staff.
2: Honestly, it just really sucks for our staff because it's like, Regardless of how they feel, like this isn't really a policy that they put in place, but they're still, at the end of the day, they're the face of the business because they're the ones who are actually dealing with the customers. And like there is just that 1% who's incredibly vocal and they're incredibly rude. I mean, it's just completely uncalled for.
0: At least one San Francisco restaurant owner who spoke with the California report is concerned that the city has left enforcement up to businesses with very little in the way of guidance for implementing the new rules. For customers, the vaccination ordinance takes effect a week from today, next Friday. For workers, it takes effect in mid-October. In Los Angeles, the LA Police Department continues to see an increase in employees who are testing positive for COVID-19. The LAPD reports an additional 52 positive cases over the past week, all but five of whom are sworn officers. And the vaccination rate for LA cops has remained stagnant for months and is far lower than the general population in Los Angeles. Here's LAPD Chief Michael Moore speaking at this week's LA Police Commission meeting.
2: I believe that once the city again formulates its uh, vaccination requirements, that those numbers will likely increase as some that have been vaccinated have perhaps not stepped forward, even though we're encouraging them to
0: Since the start of the pandemic, 10 LAPD employees have died from COVID-19, and more than 2,800 have contracted the virus. Chief Moore says he supports vaccination or testing requirements, but unions representing other law enforcement agencies across the state have pushed back against vaccine mandates. The Dixie Fire has burned over half a million acres in Northern California, making it the second largest wildfire in state history. And the blaze is just 31% contained as of this morning. The Dixie Fire leveled some towns, but as we hear from Cap Radio Scott Rod, crews were able to save other communities in its path. The Dixie Fire burned over State Route 36,
2: a two-lane road that leads into the town of Chester.
0: Now entering into
2: Plumas County, Oh, man, the fire just tore right through here. Everything below the lowest branches just reduced to ash. And, you know, these big trees just just scorched. Nestled along the west side of Lake Almanor, Chester is similar to Lake Tahoe on a much smaller scale. The community is a second home getaway for the wealthy and a tourism destination for outdoorsy types. The blackened scenery changes on the drive into town. Still some pink retardant splattered around, but other than that, on these trees, it's, they're mostly green. It just, it doesn't look like fire even really came through here. Looking at a fire map, the burn zone stops along a distinct curve, tracing the outskirts of Chester and continuing north toward the foothills. Some open signs hang in the windows of Chester businesses, but the lights are out, an indication of how quickly this town evacuated. But not everyone left. The holiday market opens a few hours each night. I am getting coffee, some milk, and maybe a few frozen dinners. Residents, including Joe Waterman, stuck around. I'm cooking for myself since I sent my wife off, and uh, I've lost six pounds so far through this. (laughs) Waterman retired after a four-decade career with CAL FIRE, the State Department that responds to wildfires. He's seen his share of wildland blazes, so he stayed to assist fire crews in spite of the evacuation order.
0: I helped them locate uh, Dozer Line. They're having some issues trying to figure out where to put Dozer Line in. Mainly, it's been just making
2: sure there weren't any spot fires within our community that we could take care of that. The town may be saved. But the miles of blackened forest around Chester will be a challenge for this natural tourism destination. Ultimately, we'll lose some businesses. Plumas County Administrator Gabriel Heydrich. But in their loss, we may see others rise. So it may take some creativity, but I see the town of Chester certainly bouncing back. And Heydrich says the town's ability to recover will depend on the entire fire-scorched region's comeback. So residents in Chester, he says, should also focus on helping more badly damaged neighboring towns. At the Holiday Market, store manager Emily Rice is sorting through produce, one squash, potato, and pepper at a time. She's boxing up food that the store will donate to evacuation centers, housing people from across the region.
1: Probably... $8,000 $8,000 worth on the first truck. It was a ton of dairy, um, it was our entire bread aisle, and a lot of produce.
2: Rice has lived in Chester for over 20 years. She says the Dixie Fire could be one of the hardest challenges the town has ever faced.
1: The cleanup process, I, I can foresee that that's gonna be a couple years. I think that people are gonna be very leery to you know, migrate back to the mountain towns when we're seeing so many fires.
2: But Rice says she's seen her community endure and overcome a lot over the years. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rodd in Chester.
0: And this week, emergency unemployment benefits are ending earlier than expected for thousands of Californians who've exhausted every other unemployment benefit program for which they're eligible. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has the details.
4: Californians who've been on the federal-state extended duration program Unemployed folks know it as Fed Ed. will no longer receive benefits if they've already gotten 13 weeks worth. Normally, recipients can get up to 20 weeks, but now California's unemployment rates no longer meet the threshold to qualify for the extra Fed Ed weeks.
2: As the pandemic drags on and as the need for extended benefits becomes greater, what you're seeing is those forces are causing the extended benefits triggers to trigger off exactly when the claimants would need it
3: the most.
4: Alex Bell is a scholar with the California Policy Lab. FedEd is only available for people who started out on regular unemployment and is designed to kick in after people have exhausted all their other options. People receiving FedEd are considered long-term unemployed, a position the Policy Lab has said puts people at greater risk of poverty and never returning to work. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin.
0: A California-based group says the pace of hate crimes against members of the nation's Asian-American and Pacific Islander communities isn't slowing down. The organization Stop AAPI Hate says there were more than 9,000 hate incidents targeting those communities between the beginning of the pandemic and the end of June of this year. Forty percent of those incidents happened in California. Cynthia Che with the group Chinese for Affirmative Action says the real numbers are probably higher.
1: We continue to see reports that are not necessarily in real time. From April to now, we continue to receive reports of incidents that occurred in in 2020.
0: The majority of these incidents occurred in public spaces, like on sidewalks and in businesses. About half include at least one harmful statement regarding anti-China or anti-immigrant rhetoric. And now to a preview of our sister show, The California Reports Weekly Magazine. This week, host Sasha Coca tells us about a man who came to California from Mexico City and found himself driving a Republican governor's car without a license.
1: Mauricio Hernandez came to Los Angeles back in 1991 when he was 16 years old. Growing up, he had dreamed about someday being on TV. (laughs)
4: Yeah, my my first dream was to be on television. That was my first dream. Be famous some way, somehow.
1: Instead, he found himself sweeping the floor as a janitor in an L.A. auto shop. Then he started working on cars. One day, a camera crew showed up at a body shop where he'd picked up a side gig. Later, the rapper Exhibit stopped by. They were filming a pilot for the MTV hit series, Pimp My Ride.
3: So you wanna be a player, but your wheels ain't fly. You gotta hit us up to get a pimped out ride.
1: The cars Hernandez worked on were often featured on the show, but he was still undocumented That made his meeting with another celebrity, who was also an immigrant, kind of memorable.
0: Hi, this is Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger of the great state of California.
1: Hernandez remembers Arnold Schwarzenegger bringing a vehicle to the shop after he had just vetoed a bill that would have given undocumented immigrants the right to get a driver's license here in California. When Schwarzenegger came to pick up his ride, Hernandez says he was the one to drive it to him.
4: And it was funny because, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger does The want to give us a driver's license, and I'm driving his car, and I'm giving this car. So,
1: <laughs> it was funny. By day, Hernandez was leading a glamorous life meeting the rich and famous. Having his work featured on TV changed everything, but not always for the better.
0: That's the California Report magazine's host, Sasha Coca. And you can listen to the full documentary about Mauricio Hernandez if you tuned into this week's California Report magazine or subscribe to its podcast wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs> And that's the California Report for Friday, August 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, and Chris Hoff, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editors, Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editors, Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I am Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. And have a great weekend.
3: Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn
0: more at irvine.org. Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to
3: not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science
0: to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and
3: opportunities for human achievement.
1: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners—